exciting news to share. I, do we have to follow the bulletin? Could we make announcements first, then preach? I'm just kidding. I mean, I, huh? Oh, I'd almost do it. I'm, I'm so excited. I'd almost do it. But anyway, let's go ahead and let's just. <laughs> I, you know, I did. I did tell um, Dwight this week. I said it's kind of scary thinking that my sermons are going out on YouTube. I mean, that you think about that. For a moment, and you stand here in this spot and say everything you're saying is being heard around the world. Now, that could be a good thing or it could be a bad thing. So, um, that's kind of a little bit scary to me. But, um, so, we'll do the announcement later, okay? And I'm, I'm excited about it, but y'all don't get distracted. Um, but I, you know this, if you've ever heard me preach much, you know that I've spent quite a bit of my Christian life uh, preaching on getting to know the heart of the Father. I think that's so important that we know His heart. Because even, you know, I may not, it's kind of like on music. I, I don't know a thing about music, but I can tell you when it's feeding my flesh or feeding my spirit. I can tell you that. And uh, when you know the heart of your Father, when you spend time with him, then you know certain things are within the realm of his direction and his leadership, and you know certain things are not. And you may not be able to explain it uh, in some sort of fancy way, but you just know in your spirit it's not, not good stuff, it's not right. So I've spent quite a bit of time trying to learn the heart of my father, and I've tried to share some of that with you as we've gone along the way. I've, I spent an awful lot of time trying to learn his ways and, and begin to try to understand from my perspective, from a human perspective, what he's wanting to accomplish and how he, how he comes around and accomplishes what his goal is, what he's trying to do in my life and using his ways versus my ways. And so I've spent so much time with that. And, and again, I realize you don't have to send me an ugly note or, you know, uh, anything to let me know that I've used this verse probably a thousand times. It's okay. I know it as long. They say that as long as you know you're repeating yourself, you're in the clear. But the minute you don't realize you're repeating yourself, that's when you start getting in trouble. But I do know this, that I've used Isaiah 55, 8 a lot. And I think I used it some even last time. But let me, let me just remind you, for my thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Now, that is heavy. That is heavy because my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, the way God thinks about a matter, the way God goes about seeing something that he wants to get accomplished it's probably not going to line up the way I think it ought to be done. And my, his ways and my ways are not the same. He has, he has his ways. Uh, I mean, you could just go through the Old Testament and just name one situation after another, after another, after another. And uh, my wife has been recently studying 
uh, Joseph, and she's been, we're riding in the truck, and we're riding around going places, and she's recounting and going back over. I mean, it is incredible what God wants to accomplish through trouble and tribulation and trial and, and stress and, and bad things happen to good people. And so we don't think like that. I mean, have you ever attended a prayer meeting that said, Lord, please take them home? I mean, I, I've not been in many like that. I've always heard God heal them, raise them up, you know, make them stronger. Uh, but we have, we have a tendency to uh, think like humans. And, and so God is wanting to make some changes in that area. Uh, did you ever notice that God's will works on his timetable and not mine? Anybody ever get in a hurry over something you want it now? Because we live in a microwave generation. And God's, God's, the way he works is not always fast. He's never late. But it's not necessarily on my time. I want something, I want an answer today. And God may not give, I love the passage about, uh, in the, you can look in your Thompson, you know, divine delays. I love that section. Divine delays. And so it's just amazing how God uses a different timetable than we do. Um, he tells uh, our thoughts. This is what a human thinks. A, a, a saved, believing human can think this way, I believe, and, and many of us do. We say, keep, hold, save. And he says, let go, be generous, and give, and be selfless. And then as we've heard several times over the last few weeks, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, why are God's ways so difficult for us to understand? And I've put a little side note. In fact, we had a meeting and then they left and I was in the office alone and I just, this is not anything, I mean, you know, but I just jotted this down. Because our humanity often gets in the way. Why are God's ways so difficult to understand? I, I just... I just jotted this down just a few minutes ago because my humanity often gets in the way. His ways are so opposite than, than ours. In fact, I would go so far as to say dramatically opposite. So let me ask a question. When we get saved, the, the day, the hour, the time, whenever it was that you got saved, you gave your life to Jesus Christ, what does God start doing right away? I mean, you, we could list a hundred things. One is he's, he's starting to help us to learn to trust him right off the bat. He wants us not just to trust him for salvation, but for the next step. So he's wanting to do that. But what does scripture say that he is, that he is about? All things work together for good, right? And then that's Romans 8, 28. And then 29, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. I honestly believe that the moment we get saved, God starts that process of conforming us into the image of his son. 
Now, you don't hear that. We don't tell people, you know, get saved, walk the aisle, they pray, we rejoice, pat them on the back and say we're going to pray for them the rest of our lives. But we don't tell them, God just started a process in you. You got saved. You're born again. You're now on your way to heaven and you can't lose it even if you wanted to lose it. But guess what? He's starting to conform you to the image of his son. And I'm going to tell you something. That's where the flesh and the spirit, where you really, it's not a painless operation to be conformed to the image of his son. It's not painless. So God uses, if he's working all things together, get this in your mind, as he's working all things together for our good, he is using circumstances in our lives that he allows. Be careful that you don't say God sent that necessarily, but we can for sure say if it came, he allowed it. He allowed something to come into my life. So he's using, and this is like the simple, this is the way I communicate, okay, simple. I don't use a screen, and I don't, I have, you know, a legal pad, and I write out my notes. Simple terms, that's what I understand. He allows circumstances that he permits in his permissive will, he uses his word and his spirit, and he's using all of this circumstance and all of his word and his spirit as we're going through life. He's allowing that, working that all together to conform me, to shape me, to change me, to change my character. From day one, I believe, till the day we die, he never lets up. He never stops. He's always in pursuit of conforming us to the image of his son. And he is determined to change me. I looked up Malachi 3.2 about the refiner's fire and the fuller's soap and the refiner and the purifying of silver. Read about that. God uses fire and he uses pressure. To refine us and to change us. He allows good times and he allows difficult times. See, I, I hate for people that are honestly seeking the Lord to hear that only God wants to prosper you. I, I hate that message because that is not a biblical message. I mean, prosper you, yes, in one sense of the word, because he's conforming you and all things work together for good. But thinking materially and health and all these things, that it's always going to turn out good and, you know, without any snag or any problem or, you know, uh, that is just not the, the full message of the, uh, the word of God. And so God uses pressure. He uses fire. He uses the heat. And he allows good times and he allows difficult times. He allow, struggle is not necessarily always bad. Struggle is not necessarily always bad. In fact, last time, if you'll recall, 
We looked at Philippians. Let's just flip back here real quick to Philippians chapter 4. Real, if you don't mind, just flip back there. Then we're going to get, this is all an introduction, by the way. So we hadn't gotten started yet, but really. But look at Philippians 4. We read this last time. <clears throat> Look at verse 11, the Apostle Paul writing, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned. Remember that word, for I have learned. Something that you learn. What is it that you, he said, was writing that he had learned? In whatsoever state, not referring to Texas, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Whatever condition he's in, he's learned, he's had to learn how to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then amazingly, he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So <clears throat> I believe the scripture is very clear that it is right to, to abase, to suffer need, and to abound. You can have more than you had before. But God is in charge of that, and God allows that, and he's doing it. He's allowing these circumstances to come in our lives, the good times and the difficult times, the challenging times, to teach us to trust him, but he's conforming us to respond like his son, like he would want his son, that his son responded. And he wants us to respond like that. So we have a lot of tough stuff that we go through in life. And I've got in my notes, and most of us would not choose any of them. The challenges that we faced in our lives, if you'd have left the choice up to me, I, I would have said, nah, we'll, just, we'll just go around that one. We're not going to do that. But you see, God, it's amazing, since he's God, he knows what's best. And he and he's you've got to have the I know I, I say this all the time, but we've got to be so grounded and understand that all things work together for good, that he's working all this together. And don't try to be so spiritual that you think you can explain it all to everybody, how God is taking this and synchronizing that and how I, I just like a child, like a little child. I just trust him. I don't understand a lot of it. I wouldn't choose most of it. But I trust him. <clears throat> he knows what's best. And he never makes any mistakes. Ever. And God is good all the time. Now that shouldn't be just a little like a little nifty slogan that we say to each other. You know, like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. You know, good is, God is good all the time. Don't just say it flippantly. We need to mean it. God is good all the time. Now, it may not look good. I mean, I may be in the fiery furnace, but God is still good all the time. So when we're in the tough times, 
There are times that God, and here's a simple little analogy. You've all heard it a hundred times or more. But God allows us to get in the circumstance so he can squeeze us. Okay? Put a little pressure. Squeeze. So you heard the analogy, when you squeeze a lemon, what do you get? Come on now, y'all are doing, I mean, I know it's afternoon. It, what? Whatever's inside. Lemon juice, apple juice, lime juice, orange juice, grape juice, grapefruit juice. <laughs> My wife loves these little cups of things that they have in the store in the chill section, the little box. It's the chunks of grapefruit or peaches and stuff and she'll grab one of those and so I picked one up the other day and I got like we do a little bit of yogurt and stuff too and so I picked one out I said I, I think I'd like that and so it was evening and she said would you like a little snack I said sure I said how about that uh, yogurt that I got the one that I you know I don't remember what it was vanilla or something she said oh I've already eaten that one I said well honey I got that one for me <laughs> So, so the analogy is squeeze, you squeeze it, and what is on the inside comes out. Right, Bill? Okay, y'all remember that because Bill said it. So when we get squeezed, now then this is where I said this is we're going to get down to the nitty gritty. Personalize this stuff. When we get squeezed, what comes out? Jesus or our old man? Uh-huh. Uh, flesh or spirit, joy or anger, praise or a scream. Now, now then, let's be really totally honest with each other. How many do you think in a one week's time would make an A plus on every category of life? Now, we come in here on church on Sunday, and we're all dressed, and we're singing, and we're praising God, and amen, we're blessed, and, you know, we write a little check, and, and all. How many of us from Monday to Sunday make an A-plus every week? Nobody. Husbands and wives, now then, y'all don't look at each other and don't jaw, jab each other with your elbow. Because I can see it. I can see all this. But how many husbands and wives make an A-plus every week? <laughs> anybody? I mean, you know, anybody make an A-plus every week, husbands and wives? How about, I'll just start with the mothers. How about mothers and your children? You're homeschooling your kids. And, you know, you're trying to do nutritious meals and you're trying to keep the clothes up, the house up, and you're trying to educate your children and all these things. And there's never any pressure in all that. And, you know, all week from Monday to Sunday, you made an A+. Any mamas can say, oh, yeah, that's me. You. I'm glad my husband told about that. How about dads? How about with your kids? Any dads ever lose their tempers at all? Ever? I'm telling you what. I mean, I, I just. Yeah. 
That's why, that's why I hold the record in asking my family forgiveness more than anybody in the room. Because that was something I learned early on. I didn't abuse grace, but I knew exactly what I needed to do the minute I failed my family. And so I have to ask you this question. I mean, we could have a whole list, okay? But I just have a short list. How many of you have ever slammed your steering wheel and honked your horn in anger in traffic? You cut me off. <laughs> See, this is why I don't like YouTube at all. I, uh, one time I was driving along down 45, and there was an 18-wheeler following a little bitty white car. It was like a small version, real small. And, um, I mean, he was right on their bumper. You know, going... 65 miles an hour, right on their bumper, flashing their lights at them and all this stuff. And wanting to pull over, they wouldn't pull over. And he, I mean, he's just inches away. So I happen to have a Phoenix. It's a brand we researched. We've got several flashlights that are Phoenix. But this one is like a flood. I mean, it's like, whoosh, it just goes way out there. I mean, hundreds of yards. Well, I pulled up beside that guy. And I had my Phoenix, and I started flashing it. I did it on, uh, what's that, rapid speed? What do they call it? Strobe. I did it on strobe. I did it right in his rearview mirror. He hit the brakes and started slowing down and backing off. And then I backed off, hoping he wouldn't see <laughs> who I was. But I mean, it, it, I think I saved a life, is what I think. I think I saved a life because he was about to run over that little car. But I'm on the freeway at night doing strobe in his rearview mirror and letting him know he's being watched, buddy. Don't you do that to these little cars, you big bully. So anybody else ever mess up in tra <laughs> traffic besides me? But you see, when you get squeezed, what comes out? <clears throat> so, and again, I'm trying to be very nice today. I think sometimes we only get a partial picture of what we're really like when we just come together on Sunday and we just see what we see. Here we are at church, and I'm not sure we get to see the full picture of really the, the weakest moments in our week. None of us are perfect, but I'm concerned that we're not dealing with the imperfections the way we should. <clears throat> You've heard this many times, the largest room in the world is the room for improvement, and all of us need improvement. It's imperative that we are honest with God about ourselves. So let's be reminded, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and 
Dr. Gerald Melton was one of the, my pastors, and he used to teach us and say to us that he believed, this was his belief, that the flesh was the greatest trouble to most Christians. The flesh, the old man. Not the world, not the devil, but the flesh, our old nature. And uh, there are a lot of reasons why that's the case and why you can make that case. But Jeremiah 17, 19 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That is what God says about my heart and your heart. My heart is deceitful. My heart is deceitful. It's deceitful. It, it puts on one picture for people to see, but then there's a private life. There's a secret life. There's that inner life that other people don't know anything about, but God does. My heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, the verses in Proverbs 26, 22 through 28 about deceit. I'll kind of just pass by that for now. You can look those up. It's Proverbs 26, 22 through 28. It refers to deceit. So you say, okay, you're making some pretty strong statements, Pastor. What evidence do you have for this? Well, let me just start with, I'll start at the starting place. All I have to do is take one good look in the mirror. And I know myself, and I'm very transparent and honest with myself. I know, I know that I see some things that I know that God's not happy with. Okay? So, you just start with you, number one. But then, I've been in the people business a very, very long time. And I don't say this with any kind of excitement or joy. But believers, you would not believe the numbers of times people have talked to me in my office alone, privately, about secret sins that they're involved in, that are members, have been members, throughout these years in this congregation. You, I mean, you just would not believe it. You would not. I mean, if I told you, you would say, you're making that up. And I'm just telling you, when people get really down and honest with God, they really start saying, you know, there are some things here that need to be changed. There are some things in my life that I know that I keep from others. And there's some things that God knows. And somehow I'm still alive. Somehow I'm still breathing. But it's only because of his mercy and his grace that I'm able to breathe another breath because I don't deserve it because I know my secret life. And folks, nothing today surprises me or shocks me about people telling where they are or where they have been recently in their lives. I don't say that to discourage. I'm just saying... Let's don't look at the pulpit like a calf looking at a new gate. Like, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. And there are some really, really, really decent, good people that I don't think they have a hiccup or a flaw and in their lives. And they're just as genuine and pure when they sit in the pew as they are sitting around their dinner table. 
They are, they are, we have them in our congregation and praise God. But I'm telling you, there have been along the way folks that have said, I'm struggling with this really bad problem. Well, we went to a seminar, seminar, uh, minister's seminar in Northwoods. It was all preachers and staff. It was all preachers and staff. The first night had Dr. Charles Stanley was there. Dr. Blackwood was there, had a bunch of really powerful preachers. And they preached And the first night and part of the second night. You know what was spent doing? Preachers and staff repenting of secret sins. And so it's real important that we, you know, today, here we are, we're hearing this message. Let's figure out what God's wanting to do and what he's up to and how we can put deal with some of this stuff and put it behind us and move forward in a very victorious manner. That ought to be our goal. I do believe you wouldn't be here if you didn't have a desire to be the best ambassador for Christ you could be. I don't think you'd be here if you didn't have that desire. I think that's what we all want. We we all struggle with our flesh and our deceitful heart. So how do we accomplish? So that's what I said. I've spent quite a bit of time in my life looking into the scriptures, trying to figure out what is God doing in all this? How's, how's he going to accomplish changing, changing me to the very character of Christ? So, let's go. That was introduction. Let's go to the scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> and I won't give all the backdrop on it because I've, I've done it before. And y'all know about the tumor I had in my throat. And the doctor said I had six months to live. And it turned out to be benign when they did the surgery. And I was thankful. But I was, it was a pretty big blow. But God drove me to these passages here. God drove me to this. And so this is like a real life verse to me that I thought, well, I just got, I have days to live. I better find out what God's saying uh, before I expire. And so <clears throat> verse one, all the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Verse two, and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Now, I'm taking all that introduction about God conforming us and God working all things together for our good. And we need to... um, Look now at this Deuteronomy 8, and I believe, and I can tell you in my personal life, I see it almost every day. This process of humbling me and testing me, it's three points. Humble me and test me to know what's in my heart. And folks, you say, why is he preaching this? I tell you, because I think we we need to understand. I believe God's doing this in your life, too. 
I believe if you tell me some of the circumstances you face in your life, I think I can show you. He humbled you, he tested you, and he to know what's in your heart. I believe you tell me a circumstance, and I believe I can show that to you. So the first thing is that he humbles us. He humbles us, and we need to learn this lesson about humility and learn it well. He is in the process of humbling each of us. I believe if you're a born-again believer, you can count on this. You can, as they say, you can take this to the bank. God is in the process of bringing humility in your life. He's humbling you. And why is he so adamant about humbling us? Because pride so easily slips in. Pride so easily slips in. Now, remind yourselves of James 4, 6. He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Another way to say it is God opposes the proud, or God opposes pride. And he gives grace to the humble. See, God, God is opposed to the pride in our lives. Now, let me just do something. And I've, I've done this several times, y'all know. But I've never broken it down quite like this. You have the lost that are proud. And then you have the saved that are proud. Okay, so you have lost that are proud. And they're, they're lost and they're proud and and there, uh, you know, and scripture, this word, if you look it up, that he resists the proud, it means God sets himself against the lost proud. He sets himself. You say, but well, why do they prosper? Well, they just prosper for a season. There will be a day they won't prosper. There will be a day of judgment and they will regret. They will regret ever turning their back on Jesus Christ. But there'll be no turning back. There'll be no turning back from that point forward. And, the, and because God is opposed, he resists the proud. Now, a little side note, a little P.S. And to be very, very plain and clear, I find it amazing that gay and the trans, all that stuff lines up with gay pride. Does that hit anybody up? Pride? They say pride. And I wouldn't want to line up. I'm telling you, I wouldn't want to, line, I wouldn't want to be on that side of the, the, the camp at all. For a lot of reasons, but because God says, I oppose. I'm coming against. I'm, I'm, I'm opposing everything you're about. It, does, it, does it amaze you that they would come up with such a word that God is opposed to, such a sin that God is opposed to, just the sin of pride, and they label it like they're proud of it. Sick. But then you have the saved proud. And that's where we, many of us, are. The saved proud. Pride so easily creeps into my life. 
I've struggled for so many years. I'm just kidding. I can't do this with a straight face. I'm sorry. It's easy to say, I'm such a great preacher. I'm such a good teacher. I sing so well. I play the piano so well. I do. I play basketball so well. And then you could say, and, I, and I've, I've known people that have been members of this church. They were so proud of their family. They were so proud of their family. I mean, they walked in like little ducks in a row. Boom, 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 boom. They were all dressed alike. And they, you know, all everything was just right. And then they grew up. And then they grew up. And some of them wouldn't want to be a poster child for Christianity, I'm telling you. But look at my family. And then we've had to deal with this, of course, in the past. There's no church like our church. Boy, isn't it funny how God took care of that problem. <laughs> he sure, he sure, he took care, he did take care of that little issue right there. If we had any spiritual pride at all, I mean, I feel like I could barely get up here in the pulpit today. And that's, and you know what? Y'all know this, but a man, there's a certain pride in a man. And one is to be independent. And, I, and I'm not trying to say, woe is me, or I don't. But, you know, to have neuropathy where, I mean, one day, and I think I might have told this once, so this is not a real repeat story. But we were having graduation, and we were sitting over here, and Dale was beside me. And I got real, I got real quiet and tense, and the graduation's going on. And I forgot who it was. Lee Norman said, are you okay? Kind of. Seemed a little tense. I said, well, we're sitting right here. And I said, I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to get up those stairs. Because the plan was to walk up these stairs and hand a Bible. And I think I could. I almost tried it this afternoon just to see. But with trifocals and neuropathy and just that uncertainty, that feeling of uncertainty, I, would, I think y'all would all, I, it wouldn't bother me as much, but I think it'd bother y'all a lot if I just fall flat on my face up here. But that's that's the issue that God and, you know, so these things happen. And then, oh, if you want another thing, I mean, put on a sling and wear it for about eight or ten weeks or whatever. We I've met more strangers. We were in Hobby Lobby. I met more people coming. Ah, I, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. I've been right where you are. Shoulder surgery, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, we're totally we're isn't it amazing. We were coming out of the place and this. Young lady, she was a college age, and she said, what happened to your shoulder? What happened to your shoulder? And, you know, I said, well, I fell and tore my rotator cuff. And she uh, said, oh, I did the same thing playing volleyball and all this stuff. You know, it's just like, all right, I'm proud that I can lift a 50-pound bag of feed. But I can't anymore. Not right now. And so God is using... Folks, I'm, I don't like that, but I'm giving you personal illustrations of how it's worked in my life. I want you to apply it to your life. How has God allowed some things to come in your life where he's dealing with the pride issue and he's allowing, because I've been proud over a lot of things. I mean, I almost thought I was going to have to wear Crocs today. And I thought, that's the end of it. I mean, I'm not, 
I will call Pastor Will and I'm not going to church in Crocs. <laughs> you know, y'all please bear with me. But Lynn and I said this this week. Our parents didn't prepare us for old age. I said, you know why? And she said, why? And I said, because they were too busy getting old. <laughs> but I, folks, think with me in your life how God, if I believe this is true, how God has allowed some things in your life to humble you, to keep you from being prideful. And he's done it out of love and grace and mercy because he loves us so much. But he promised to start conforming us and he's going to do it till the day we die. And then I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the second one. But the first one is uh, first one is he humbles us because he deposed to the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So just think about it. You get all that grace. But then he proves us that word in the in the text here. But he proves thee. That's like testing. That's the classroom thing that I've been hammering so many times. He, he humbles us and then he tests us to know what is in our heart. Now, I've, I know some of you that have been around, you've heard me deal with this before. You say, but the first time I ever saw that many, many years ago, I asked the question like, I thought God knew everything. So why to know he proves me to know what is in thine heart? Why does God have to put me to the classroom so he can find out what's in my heart? And then boom. I said, whoa, this is a truth I didn't get from seminary. And this is a truth I didn't get out of a commentary. This is a truth God took me through through daily life, walking with him, trusting him every step of the way. He doesn't need to know what's in my heart. He wants me to know what's in my heart. Do y'all get it? He, listen, God's searchlight, Doug Meyer used to say this a lot. God has a searchlight, his spirit, and he knows everything about us. We can't hide anything. We can't slip a thought past him. Nothing. He knows it all. He knows that if we get squeezed the right way, what's going to pop out? He knows. And, but the thing is, he wants to, for us to know what he knows. He wants us to know. I, he wants me to know me. So that I can repent of it. So I can turn from it. So I can say, Lord, that I agree. That is sin in my life. It's wrong. It's unchristlike. It, I shouldn't be having that thought. I shouldn't behave that way. I shouldn't hit the steering wheel like that. I shouldn't express anger to my wife. I shouldn't. It's, that's unchristlike. That's not the way you want me to be. But he has to allow circumstances to let me see me. And then what I do, if we're genuine, you'll agree with him. You'll admit he's right. You're right. You're showing me myself. You're showing me the real me. 
And I want to be transparent. I want to be honest. I want to be upfront. I don't want to try to keep anything secret. I know I can't, but I don't want to try to keep it secret. I want to be open before you, Father. And then the next is, will you obey or not? So he, he humbles you, tests you to let us see what's in our heart, whether we'll keep his commandments or not, whether we'll keep his word or not, whether we'll obey him or not. So today, during this time of invitation, I ask you, if God's showing you something about your secret self that he's wanting to deal with, and he's wanting to say, let's put an end to this today. Today's the day. Don't, don't, don't postpone it and say, well, I'll, th I'll think about it till you know, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. No, he's, he allowed this message at this moment in time for us today here so that at this altar we can fall on our face before a holy and righteous God and say, God, this is the real me and you've known it all along and I confess it's wrong, it's sin, it's so unchristlike. And I, I agree with you 100%. And I want to start fresh. I want to draw that squiggly line. I want to start fresh with your grace today. More grace today to live a victorious life this week. That's the challenge. That's what God wants from us. And he's asking all of us, just be honest with yourselves. Don't worry about the other person. Worry about yourself. Think about yourself and where you are and what's going on in your life. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to you for your word. We thank you for the things that you continue to teach us and show us about yourself and about your ways. And I pray, Father, that you would accomplish your will during this time of invitation. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would do a great work, that we would not stiff arm you or argue with you or debate you, that we today, this moment, would come clean with you about the things that you already know that are in our lives. And we'll be so careful to praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Pastor Will.